You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift into running into evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Abomination. Lying. Those things are an abomination to God. It's interesting that we read this list, and we don't think, though, think of lying as an abomination. Well, yeah. It says that if you lie, then God is disgusted with it. Ouch. One of the unfortunate yet common practices within the church is our tendency to call out certain sins while being oblivious to the severity of our own. As Pastor Dave will teach you in his message today, there are far more sins in the Bible that are listed as an abomination to God than we might think. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13 as he begins his message, The Beginning of the End. Let's turn into our Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, and we're looking at chapter 13 specifically. Let's see what we have today for us. So, you know that Israel has rejected God's rule, and they demanded a king to be put in place. Even after Samuel the prophet told the Israelites all the things that a king would take from them and demand from them, they still demanded a king from God. They rejected God. So God chose a man from the tribe of Benjamin, a tall, good-looking man from a wealthy family named Saul, and he was to be king over all of Israel. God had Samuel anoint Saul king, giving him God's assurance that, number one, he would always be with him. Number two, God would always provide for Saul. And number three, God would give him the power through the Holy Spirit to enable him to do what God had called him to do. Samuel presented Saul to the people, Valiant men chose to stand by him, and many despised him because of his upbringing and because of where he was from. Last time we were together, we saw that the Ammonites surrounded a city and wanted to take inhabitants, their slaves. Saul sent forth a message to all men of Israel, and he raised an army of 300,000. 300,000 answered the call to service. Saul used really good military tactics and defeated the Ammonites, And there was great rejoicing. Saul proved himself valiantly as he defeated the Ammonites. The people, because of this, wanted to kill those who had originally despised Saul. And once again, he shows valor, and he gives credit to the Lord, and he honors the Lord by not killing anyone that day. He holds back his anger. This was like a high point in Saul's career. And unfortunately, from this point, Everything goes south. Everything begins to fall apart. It didn't last very long. So as we begin chapter 13, we see the beginning of the end of this king. Cracks in his character begin to appear. Kinks in his armor, so to speak. 
And as I looked into chapter 1, excuse me, and as I looked into chapter 13, I saw four things. I picked out four things to show the decline of the king. First of all, he becomes prideful. Second of all, he falls into unbelief and is impatient and becomes disobedient to the Lord's commands. That's all one thing. Thirdly, he tries to cover up his disobedience with lies. He uses deception. And fourthly, he acts foolishly. And even though Saul will remain king for 20-some-odd years after this, the result of these four things ends up being the loss of the kingdom to him. He loses the kingdom. And he loses any hope of a dynasty that would follow in his name. You know, the monarchy... The monarchy usually forms into dynasties when everyone who is a son of the king becomes the king, and then so on and so on and so on. You get a dynasty. Well, this is not going to happen. So as we begin this chapter, we see in verse 1 that Paul reigned over Israel for two years. Saul, I'm sorry. Verse 1, chapter 13. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel. Two years. Two years. And during these two years, he establishes an army. Look at verse 2. Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with him in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. Now remember, when he sent the call out, remember he chopped up the oxen and sent it out? 300,000 people answered the call. He sends all those away except for 300,000, and then he splits those up. He keeps 200,000 with himself, and he sends 1,000 with Jonathan. 1,000 with Jonathan. But Israel is facing a huge threat from the Palestinians right now. It's very, very important. I don't know why he did decided to split these things, but yet they were 15 miles apart. Now, In this verse, in verse 2, we are introduced to one of my all-time favorite biblical characters. I absolutely love Jonathan. I really do. Many, many believe that although Saul would lose the kingdom, many believe had Jonathan lived, and there's even scripture that supports it, that he and David would be in power over Israel. Jonathan truly is a great, excellent figure. One commentator said this, this is the first place in which we see this brave and excellent man, a man who bears one of the most amiable characters in the Bible. I really like Jonathan. He's a man who is, has great faith, of which we'll study when we get to chapter 14. Uh, it really, I really, really like him. So Jonathan is introduced to us. He's Saul's son. So as we see verses 3 and 4, we see the first thing that begins to usher in Saul's decline as king. We'll read 3 and 4. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, said that Saul had attacked the garrison, of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Interesting. Interesting. So you see, the first thing that happens here is pride. 
Where do I see pride? Well, Jonathan won the victory. Jonathan went in and kicked buck and took names. He defeated the garrison at the Philistines. Saul blows the trumpet, and everybody thinks that Saul had the victory, and he doesn't correct them. He doesn't correct them. He takes credit for the victory. He takes credit. And so the decline begins with pride. So often the case of those who are in ministry or those who are serving the Lord, so often, unfortunately, the case of a decline begins with pride. Proverbs speaks a lot about pride, speaks a lot about the proud. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. It's an interesting word, abomination. It basically means disgusting or hateful. So pride makes our Lord disgusted. And he makes him hateful. Throughout the scripture, we see that many things, we read that the things are the abomination to God. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Most of the times when people hear abomination, they automatically zoom in to homosexuality. They zoom into homosexuality, and it is an abomination to God, and you can prove it in the Bible. It says so in Scripture. It says so. But we're really quick to look at the homosexual and say, you're an abomination to God. But it's interesting to me that throughout Proverbs, and I'm just going to choose one, in Proverbs 6, 16, in Proverbs 6, 16, he says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination. Listen to this list. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift into running into evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Ooh. Abomination. Lying. Those things are an abomination to God. It's interesting that we read this list, and we don't think, though, think of lying as an abomination? Well, yeah. It says that if you lie, then God is disgusted with it. Ouch. Ouch. Pride will destroy a ministry in a heartbeat. Proverbs 16, 18, we all misquote. We always say pride goes before a fall. Everybody misquotes that verse, but it really said pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. The haughty spirit is going to be brought down. In other words, those that lift themselves up, they're going to be brought down. Haughtiness and pride implies self-confidence. And it produces carelessness. You become to think that you're invincible. You become a haughty. You carry yourself with, with this look. But God is against those who are prideful. God resists the proud in heart. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God resists those whose spirit is elevated in the condition of pride, being haughty. So that this person who is haughty and this person who is pride eventually becomes rude and disrespectful, and his conduct towards God and man is rude and disrespectful. He begins to admire himself. He wants to talk about himself all the time. And then he says to you, enough of me talking about me. What do you think of me? He wants to talk about himself all the time. He begins to admire himself. Others begin to tell him how great he is, and his head starts to swell. In other words, he believes his own press clippings. But the sad reality is 
It's an abomination. It's an abomination. God hates it. And this cut me to the quick because, you know, we're all proud at times. We're all proud at times. And I've said this before, and I don't mind repeating it. You know, I love college basketball, and not one time during the NCAA playoffs did I see the kids yelling, we want to be number two. We want to be number two. I never heard that. They all yell, we're number one. It's good to a degree, but it's an abomination. In Proverbs 13.10, it says something else interesting about pride. It says only by pride comes contention. Contention. Now, this is an interesting statement, but if we examine it carefully, we begin to see that wherever contention arises, somewhere behind it lies someone's pride. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I've been in quarrels before where I thought I was right. And by golly, I'm going to tell you I'm right. Yeah. Oh, pride. How important is us to come to the cross and reckon that old man dead? Reckon that old man, that old prideful self dead. That's the only way we're going to get rid of pride. We must die to self. We must die to self. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he's going to lift thee up, James says in 4.10. Jesus says, he that humbles himself shall be exalted. He who exalts himself will be abased. Saul becomes prideful. Saul becomes prideful, and the Lord's going to have to deal with this. That's one of the first things that we see in this slide, in this decline. So as we get to verses 5 through 9 now, then the Philistines gathered together to fight the Israel with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped at Mixmash to the east of Beth Haven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. This probably was the biggest sin of all. He falls into unbelief, and he becomes impatient. It's obvious to everyone that the Israelites are vastly outnumbered. They're standing before them, and there's an army of numbers outnumbering the numbers of the sand and the multitude. See, my gosh, not a lot of people. I can't even pronounce it. So what does Saul's army do? <laughs> they go, wait a minute. One, two, three, four, four. Wait a minute. They get above 3,000, and they're bolting. They're out of here. They're hiding in thickets. They're hiding in every, any place they can go. They're harvesting. They start to desert. They're bolting. They're deserting. They're running away. They're hiding everywhere they could. They even went over the other side of the Jordan. This was a low point for Israel. Israel was at one of their lowest points. Many of them have thought, what we really need is a king, and a king would solve our problems. But now they have a king, and the problems are still there. Instead of trusting in God, they were now trying to trust in a king. Yeah, well, we got to go there. You probably can read it. You know it better than I. Psalm 118. 
Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in princes. They were putting their confidence in a man. He'll fix our problems. What we need is a king. He'll take care of all our needs. He'll take care of all our problems. He'll raise an army. He'll protect us. He'll fix things. We often think that things will fix problems that they don't do at all. We want things to fix our problems. Sometimes our problems look like the sand in the sea. There's so many of them. They keep multiplying and they keep coming towards us. One commentator said, and hereby God intended to teach them the vanity of their carnal confidence in men and that they did not one jot less than need the help and favor of God now than they did before when they had no king. They were just rejected God. Remember that. The army coming against them was enormous. How many of your circumstances right now seem enormous? How many of your circumstances that you're going through today seem like they are so huge and they seem to get bigger the more you focus on them? The more you focus on the problem, it seems to grow right before your eyes. What Saul and the nation needed at this time was faith and patience. Samuel would be there in seven days. Saul was still waiting for him in Gilgal, and the people were trembling because of the size of the army that was coming against them, and they were scattering. And for some unknown reason, Samuel was delayed. Many think it was on purpose. Many think it was on purpose to test the king. But Saul's impatience has reached its limit. It's all he can stand because he can't stand no more. He's at his end. He's not been very patient, and he wants to sacrifice before he goes to war. What's wrong with that? This is a good thing. This is a good thing. He wants to have a sacrifice before he goes out to war. This is a good thing. But he doesn't wait for Samuel to get here. He doesn't even have the wherewithal to call for a priest. Nobody. I mean, no one was allowed to sacrifice except the priest and prophet. No one was allowed to sacrifice. It's God's commandment. He clearly went against that commandment. He does the unthinkable. He makes the sacrifice himself. Wow. Wow. Now, before we beat up good old Saul, before we take him to task here, you gotta put yourself in his place. How would you act? There's an army coming at you who you can't see the end of. Maybe there's a circumstances you are in right now that you can't see the end of it. The end of it so, seems so far away, and just when you think you see a light in a tunnel, you see Santa Fe under it. Think about it. Just when you see a light in the tunnel, you look and it says Santa Fe under it. It's a train. <laughs> So, yeah, I knew you knew that. I love you, Joe. Put yourself in there. This army coming against them is huge. The circumstances that you're facing are enormous. They're enormous. You're outnumbered a zillion to one. Everybody with you is bailing out. The 3,000 men that he had there, actually the 2,000 that he had, Jonathan had 1,000, the 2,000 that he had, they're bolting. They're hiding in thickets. They're hiding in caves. One had a rock on his head and just stood there. Will they see me? They're hiding everywhere they can. These guys are panicking. 
So everybody who was your best friend, everybody who was your best friend before you got into this circumstance, they've bolted. They're gone. They're gone. And the circumstances aren't gone. They keep coming. They keep coming. Your best friend, who happens to be a prophet, who happens to be a man man of God, said, I'll be there in seven days, and he's late. At least he's late to your thinking. He's late. The problem keeps getting worse and worse by the second. What do you do? Now, of course, the stock answer to the Bible study is pray. Yeah, call out to God and pray. That's the stock answer. And we all will go, yeah, that's what we'll do. That's what we do. Yeah. You'll be scrambling around trying to do something just like Saul. You'll be scrambling around trying to do something to, to fix the thing, to get it fixed. You go down to the local bookstore and say, oh, I know there's something in here about a thousand army coming to get me. Wait a minute. Here it is. Here it is. How to take care of an army in seven easy steps. I mean, come on. We'll do this. Instead of praying and seeking the Lord, Saul does the sacrifice himself. It's crazy. It's crazy. We either take matters in their own hands and we try to circumvent God and his commandments to get what we want. We do that all the time. And if you're honest with yourself, you can put yourself in that place. You see that it happens. I know it happens to me, but you guys are so much more spiritual than I am. And it happens to me a lot. Things look overwhelming to me, and I try for the quick fix. I look for the quick fix instead of waiting for God. Waiting for God to take care of the problem. Waiting for God. Medicine does it all the time. Medicine does it constantly. You go in and go, yo, I'm a little depressed. Oh, here, here, take those. The medicine didn't work. Oh, we're going to up it. Oh, we're going to up it again. Up it again. It's medicine's fix. The promises of God are available for us to take by faith. They're there and we're available. And we need faith and patience to receive them. Faith and patience have to go together. There's an interesting, interesting set of verses. Bill covered them a while back in Hebrews 6. Some interesting verses in Hebrews 6. In Hebrews 6, specifically verses 10 through 12. For God is not unjust to forget your work or the labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. What do you need to inherit the promises of God? Faith and patience. Faith and patience. Two things, faith and patience, are necessary. Why? The he that comes to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Nothing pleases God except faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I must have faith in God's word. I must have faith in God. I must have faith in God's ability. I must have faith to know that God is able to do that which he has promised to do. And that which he has promised, he's able to perform for me. I have to believe that. Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of 1 Samuel and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. 
find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. While we'd like to invite you to join us in person for church at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, right now we're following the Lord's guidance and remaining closed. However, we are still holding services online. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 on Facebook and YouTube. Just follow the links you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. We're also streaming our Wednesday service at 7 p.m. along with Bible study and devotionals each week. It's important to stay connected to church community during this time, so we hope you'll join us. Is there anything we could be praying about for you? Please let us know. Call us at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Dave and all of us at Calvary Chapel Cape May in your prayers, that we'll be wise in our decisions, and that we'll stay in tune with the desires of Christ. Thanks for praying, and thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of 1 Samuel, right here on A Sure Hope.